Pulsara is proud to sponsor this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can leverage the power of network communication at www.pulsara.com forward slash EMS. As Chris would say, by the old clock on the wall, it's time for another edition of Inside EMS. I'm still not Chris Sevalero. It's Rob Lawrence here sitting in for Chris. But there's one constant in this show, and that is the man they call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson. Hello, sir. I'm good. How are you, Rob? I'm good. Uh, we're, we're back again. Chris is still on other duties as a sign. Tell me, Kelly, did you get the Coast Guard or the uh, liquid duty-free delivery yet? No, 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 I, I haven't. I, it's beginning to feel more less like an assignment than a junket. I think he's on a junket. He's, he's probably drinking a drink with umbrellas in it. And uh, that's my guess. And that's what I hope for him anyway. If that's not what he's doing, then I, I wish he were doing that. I'm sure he would as well. And uh, I have to say, we've got the audio sorted this week. We had such a short notice uh, notice last week with technical issues uh, we, we're actually using and this is this is and we're going to come back to this a little bit later on kelly as we we kind of discussed earlier yes indeed we are we're using zoom as our recording platform uh and so if you are going to get into podcasts uh, providing of course this goes onto the deck and we can turn it into a podcast it's actually an easy way to record and then transport transfer via mp3 onto uh, onto a deck so we're trying a little bit of new technology today and hopefully everybody sounds like they're actually in the room and with it as in you, Kelly. <laughs> well, we yeah, we, we had some challenges last week, but uh, hopefully now that we're both at our, our home computers and podcast studios, we've, we've got those licked. So Absolutely. what have you got for us in the way of news this week, Rob? Well, let me just start you off by just quoting something at you and see what you've got to say. Last week, President Trump called us drivers. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm mentally counting to 10. Um, no, actually, I really don't care that he calls us drivers. I don't care if anybody calls us drivers. After all, my my uh, internet handle for 13 plus years has been ambulance driver Absolutely. because I, I I wearied so much of, of fighting that battle that I decided to just own the term and use it sarcastically. Um, we do drive an ambulance, uh, but it's a... Uh, Calling us drivers or ambulance drivers is a very limited uh, and superficial view of our role in healthcare and public safety, uh, but it's it's a sign of ignorance. And well, before, we have. Go there, Kelly, let, let me, let me okay. jump in before and actually give the backstory so people don't think we're having on the the politicians of the day. In that, at a press conference last week, and bearing in mind these presidential press conferences tend not to last too long these days, once the, the message has been delivered, off they go. Well, uh -huh. questions were taken, and a journalist actually asked the question about ambulance funding. And of course, as you know from the discussions we've had in the past, uh, we are still trying to make sure that we are not forgotten, that the various CARES Act um, versions as they're coming out include funding for EMS. And so the question was about ambulance funding. And because, and what the president said was, I wasn't aware of this, but I will look into it, which, which if you, you know, follow presidential Q&A sessions, that's a major coup to get that uh -huh. from the president. And of course, you know that all behind the scenes, the staffers are scrabbling around, tapping into computers, calling each other. Do you know anything about it? Do you know anything about it? Well, of course, that means that we got that question in and people are looking into it. So from that perspective, Kelly, he can call me an ambulance driver all day long because we got our question in and therefore folk are looking into it. So I'm an ambulance driver. 
copy. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I I have no quibble with that. Uh, in the South, we have a saying: you can call me anything you want, just don't call me late for dinner. Um, and I'm of the the same opinion. As long as he is looking at EMS in a positive light and and looking into um, uh, sustaining or increasing our funding in the upcoming uh, modification of the CARES Act, I could care less what he calls us. Uh, it's one of those one of those things that we we tend to get so wrapped around the axle when someone calls us an ambulance driver that yet we we ignore the rank and file paramedic and EMT ignores the really important issues uh, in EMS or they're ignorant of those issues and they, and they they focus on semantics rather than substantive uh, problems with EMS and and I really don't care ambulance drivers fine with me. And I, and, I, and I must say that last week I spent a lot of time on social media just calming people down to say, listen, let's look at the bigger picture here. There is not only there is a bigger picture, there's a huge landscape picture here to look at, which is somebody right at the top in Washington right now is going behind the scenes asking questions about funding. And so we are going to pursue that. Of course we are. We're going to follow up and we're going to make sure that we can, you know, round that point home. But let's go back to the driver word for a second, because I know you've been uh, scanning through the EMS One news channel, and we seem to be having an uptick in vehicle contacts, road traffic accidents, call them what you will, uh, out there right now, Kelly. Yeah, I, uh, a good friend of mine has, has long said that EMS can become a, a substantially safer profession by doing one simple thing, obeying traffic laws and curtailing the use of license irons. And that has been something we've been aware of uh, uh, at management and supervisory uh, levels for years in EMS and more and more agencies have, have started to curtail those. But one of the, the latest things, I haven't uh, had a chance to pour through the whole thing, but uh, Jeff Jarvis and Mike Tegman have looked into uh, lights and siren response and, and, uh, and studying uh, the effects of that and reducing lights and siren response in their respective agencies and uh, look forward to, to reading that. But the point being is that that leading thinkers in EMS uh, have, are aware that this is a problem as well. Um, quite simply, we, we mentioned this last week, Rob, so much of what we do is not really time sensitive. Uh, there are very few things that we do that are truly time sensitive. And for those things, uh, the response, the optimum response time is usually not anywhere within the realm of possibility for most uh urban or rural EMS systems. Uh, the rest of the time, we can get there like the cable installer. Next Tuesday, somewhere between noon and 5 p.m., be on the lookout for us. But if we would just, just focus more on the care aspect rather than the rapid transport aspect uh, of providing out-of-hospital care, I think it would substantially increase the safety of our profession and our customer satisfaction as well. What do you think? Well, I think that you're absolutely right. We did touch on this last week. We were talking about uh, quality standards, of course. Uh, and if you remember, we mentioned the fact that one of the standards is the amount of time people spend not responding on lights and sirens. And, and I think that's an important issue. But allied to that, you know, we, maybe we need to have a bit of a safety stand down. We can never have a safety stand down because we never stop doing what we're doing. So we have a virtual yeah. stand up around all those key things about crew resource management that, you know, eyes, you know, hands need to be on the wheel, eyes, eyes on the road. You know, if, even if you're the passenger, you're not the passenger uh, in a military sense, you're, you're the vehicle commander. You're the person that's actually looking at all those things, operating the radio, make sure the intersection's clear, et cetera. 
those are things it's not just the person behind the wheel that's that's controlling the vehicle in the response it's actually a two-man operation uh, and sometimes you know I, i've seen vehicles come past me in, in any place in the world i've been to where somebody's driving the other person's looking down perhaps we need to refresh ourselves on that and perhaps we may just reduce the odd vehicle contact i know some of it isn't our fault but then again some of it most certainly is one one safety measure our agency took was was installing cameras uh drive cameras in the ambulance and and of course that was met with pushback from the crews they oh my god cameras and and chris and i go back and forth on on the utility of cameras in the patient module uh i'm not in favor of it uh chris is very much so um but i have to say that i've, I've come around to to the the benefit of drive camps uh the the amount of insurance payouts that we pay um, in ambulance collisions is is astronomical and and from what I understand it's pretty much industry standard you're you're going to be on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars per accident if you're at fault and the cost of defending it is is cost prohibitive as well and these things these these drive cams have both uh, been successful at modifying driver behaviors. Uh, uh, in the crews and have, have given us a pretty powerful weapon in defending ourselves in these lawsuits where these people will dart in front of you and break check you, uh, because they, they, we think of ourselves as a rolling billboard for, for our agencies and they look at us as a rolling paycheck. Sometimes <laughs> we're big target painted on the front of our ambulance. If they can, uh, if they can get in an accident with us. Very few people do that, but uh, these drive camps have proven very useful in, in defending us and those sorts of things. Absolutely, and also what I've noticed is there's a trend of back back in the day, um, yeah. and you can work out when the day was that we would have some degree <laughs> of of sovereign immunity. Uh, a lot of services had this that they could sit behind, if you like. And so what's happening now is people won't or can't sue the ambulance operator but they can sue the ambulance vehicle driver. Let's use the driver word for a second. Yeah. I've certainly, I can certainly quote some cases offline where the, the, the driver is being sued by the passenger or by the other vehicle because they can't go after the ambulance service themselves. So, you know, there's a huge liability issue there. And once again, all the more reason for making sure that we train people to operate these vehicles effectively. We also have the, the measures in place, such as cameras, to ensure that we are we can we can defend ourselves as an organization and defend the individual driving if they are abiding by the laws of the land and the traffic laws in which in the state in which they're operating it's absolutely key i think you know i've, I've long said that the more effectively i do my job the less exciting it is uh, and the more effectively i assess and gather a history and treat my patient initially uh, the less i have to turn on those lights and sirens and i think more and more people are are becoming aware of that god knows we have enough studies uh, on the effectiveness of lights and sirens at reducing transport and response time uh, and and the effect uh, is is negligible in an ur urban environment but it may be some somewhat significant in, in rural and, and super rural environments but I dare say we probably have enough data now that we're creeping up on enough that we can do a meta-analysis uh, on, on the effectiveness of lights and sirens and, and the safety thereof. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of the, the old school folks will be somewhat surprised by, by that data. 
that it really doesn't buy us a whole lot of time and it doesn't do our patients any good and probably uh, negatively impacts our patient satisfaction score. What do, what do patients, Rob, what do patients at, at agencies you've led, what do they most complain about? What took you so long and man, why was that ride so rough? Well, there and there is the other one that uh, you know the patient never complains about you used the wrong gauge needle on me, but they That's will right. tell you they will tell you that you were mean to them, and actually there's a lot to be said about attitude, demeanour, bedside manner. Now, of course, I understand right now where we are in in month five or six. In fact, times just disappeared. Whatever month we're in with COVID, that people are tired, um, their tempers are becoming a little bit frayed. And, you know, perhaps they, they might be a little bit terse or short with the patients. And that's something we have to just, you know, make sure we're guarding against uh, because the patient is the one that's ill. But, of course, our providers are now the ones that are exhausted. Um, and, and we just have to make sure that, you know, we're not treating the patient and then, you know, insulting them at the same time. It's, it's very yeah. difficult right now. But under normal circumstances, as a COO, the complaints I got were, you know, you, you, you were late or you were mean period. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most effective lawyer, uh, lawyer repellent there is, is uh, simple customer service and a smile. Yeah. Um, shifting, shifting gears a little bit before we go to our mid show break, yep. I've got a issue uh, from today uh, where a Florida fire chief resigned after investigation into bulk EMT certification. Uh, the, Fire chief was investigated for submitting a bulk renewal certification for 20 firefighter EMTs in Panama City, Florida at their fire department um, who had not met the requirements for uh, semi-annual renewal in the state of Florida. Um, Rob, this is something that has long been a problem in EMS. Uh, in the past, I had laid the blame at the at the feet of National Registry for their, for their registry, for their you know, outdated uh, and and stultifyingly boring continued education requirements. But with the National Continued Competency Program, that that's a thing of the past. There is no reason to have to sit through a boring, uh, idiotic, repetitive, simplistic continued education session anymore. Uh, and you can custom design it more or less to your agency's needs. Why are EMS educators and agencies still out there pencil whipping our recertification courses and our continuing education. Well, let's break that down into parts, Kelly. First of all, it's never good when this is reported and happened. Um, it's not, not a good reflection on the agency themselves. It's not a good reflection on the providers themselves. And obviously, I haven't had the benefit of reading the story and, of course, getting into the backstory because there's always a backstory. Uh, but if we think about education right now, and, and, and we'll talk a bit more about this after the break, but you know, we are now having to reconsider and rethink how we deliver education. Um, the days of being in the classroom, and yes, we can get back into the classroom with appropriate measures. In fact, my son's going back to college next week, so you can go to the classroom. But we have to now reconsider how we deliver uh, training and education, how hands-on we, we, get, we get whilst being hands-off and then how we can use the virtual environment in order to deliver that training and also how we can use that environment to make sure that the, that the education is being delivered and understood and then the provider is capable of passing whatever whatever exam we put in front of them 
given the new normal that we're in? I, I think that the stories like this, you know, there was the, the scandal in Massachusetts uh, several years back where uh, several departments were actually deadlined because uh, uh, most of their personnel had, had falsified their, their uh, EMS continuing education and several people went to jail over that. Uh, but this is, this has been a problem for, for quite some time, but with the resources and the techniques and, and the platforms we have now to complete continuing education um, and the flexibility afforded by most of these, uh, these agencies like national registry of, EM, uh, of EMTs, there's no excuse for, for not being able to do it. If it still goes on, it's because apathy and laziness more than anything else. Uh, it's not lack of, of, of resources. You and I are sitting here with a, with a uh, pretty much a turnkey um, video conferencing platform where we can share our screens, we can, we can share audio, we can do polling and, and integrated testing uh, within the platform. Uh, and it looks like that that's going to be, especially if, if COVID-19 continues uh, to be a, a limiting factor in years to come, it looks like EMS training is going to going to be virtual for quite some time. The the answer is yes. Um, training and conferencing is going to be yes. Uh, and I'm going to cut the cut that answer short because if you are, we're going to be listening to this, we're recording on Zoom as I said. But the image I've mm -hmm. just had is Kelly with a cat resting on his shoulder, like <laughs> a long John Silver with the wrong animal on there. Uh, let's go to our mid-show message from our sponsor. Pulsara is the only FirstNet listed mobile telehealth and communication network that connects teams across organizations. Free to EMS and the receiving EDs, Pulsara One unites teams seamlessly in a single patient channel, replacing the radio report with features like live video calls, ECG and image uploads, audio, data and key benchmarks. Pulsara United includes enhanced features built to help your EMS agency provide an expanded scope of practice such as mobile integrated health and community paramedicine. Regardless of which package is right for you, Pulsara makes communicating with healthcare facilities in your region easy. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team and communicate. For more information, visit pulsara.com forward slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com forward slash EMS. So there we go. That was our mid-show message read by our sponsor, read by me. There we go. That was pre-recorded. I wasn't <laughs> reading it then. I couldn't be that word perfect. Uh, anyway, we're now, we're in, we're in conference season. Normally, Kelly, we'd be jumping on planes, going to far off distant places with lazy rivers and room for 7,000 of your closest friends. But it's all different this year. And so yes. I, have you got any speaking virtually coming up? Where are you virtually traveling to? Coming uh, up? Let's see. I will be... Um, uh, you know, it's a running joke here at the house. We call this the 2020 coronavirus tour. Uh, we normally call our, our, our speaking engagements throughout the year uh, uh, straight out of Pitkin. And every tour date, quote unquote, has been canceled. We, I made one live conference in January uh, and everything after that has either been canceled or gone virtual. So uh, the last two dominoes fell. The, the Georgia Educators Conference and the Texas EMS Conference have both decided to go vir virtual, and those are in, in November. I will be at those. I will be at uh, the Pennsylvania uh, EMS Conference virtually. Um, I'll also be in Oregon, 
and we're I think there are a couple others that I'm I'm failing to mention uh, that I can't recall right offhand. But looks like September, October, and November. Uh, I won't be live, but I'll be Memorex. Memorex. So I just lost I just lost half our younger audience right there. They they probably never heard that commercial. But yes, indeed. Uh, if you haven't got a Memorex, <laughs> we can go back a bit further somewhere older members and put the gramophone record on. It takes a different type of of delivery this year. Uh, Pinnacle. We just had Pinnacle, and I have to say. Uh, Jay and the boys did a fantastic job there and actually they kept it fairly simple. They used a Zoom platform. They kept everybody to time and to task. Everybody gave live presentations with a Q&A at the end. And I thought the, and again, it comes back down to the, the, the speaker and the subject matter, but I thought they did a really good job with Pinnacle. And of course it was free to all to, to, to view. Nemsma had their uh, annual conference in the middle of all of that. And they also had a keynote from Dr. Fauci. So we've that was pretty cool as well. And of course, that was well reported in EMS one. But they used a fairly simple platform. They delivered the message very, very well. But I guess it takes a different <clears throat> thought process, I suppose, to be a virtual presenter, Kelly. I mean, what are your top tips when, you, when, when you're thinking about doing this? Well, it, it's been a learning process for me because, uh, but but I'm I'm kind of ahead of the curve because for the last five years I've I've done a hybrid uh, EMT training program uh, from EMR all the way through advanced EMT and and paramedic refreshers, uh, and we we do this as with uh, weekly online sessions. Uh, now we're using Zoom as our platform, but in the past we've used Cisco WebEx and, and BlueJeans Network. Um, but as far as the, the easiest, most uh, intuitive user interface, I think Zoom probably beats them all now. Your demeanor and the way you approach uh, an education session is absolutely different when you're doing this online. I can hold people's attentions, entertain and educate them face-to-face and I can work a room of 500 people and tell my jokes at the appropriate points and read my audience and get the, uh, and get the interaction we need. And, and the flow is great. I can do that for an hour at a time. You better be really, really good and better than I am if you're going to hold someone's uh, attention uh, for one uninterrupted hour online. So lesson number one is keep it short and sweet. Break it up. Uh, if your session is going to be an hour long, like many of ours are going to be in this in these virtual conferences, uh, one of the things I'm doing is is we're taking mid-show or mid-lecture breaks, and we're going to do something interactive. The other thing I would say is, is the more you can use video, the more you can use video and, and audio rather than just stale, boring PowerPoint slides. This is something we've known in, in live face-to-face presentations, but it's even more important when you're doing this virtually. If you can insert audio and video uh, and use those as to make your teaching points rather than just uh, share slides with someone, that's going to make it much more interactive for the for the providers uh, or for the listeners. Uh, another tip I would say is is to integrate some type of audience interaction uh, into your program. Uh, most of these, Zoom being one. Uh, has an integrated polling app where you can you can take a survey or a poll and there are a number of, of different standalone platforms that can integrate with zoom uh, kahoot and and quizlet and and things like this uh, one of the things I've, I've become a real fan of is is putting kahoot games into my my uh, online presentations and, and my students uh, 
we, we have a, a running competition throughout the class to see who wins the most cahoots uh, throughout the class. And they get a pretty nice prize at the end. And these, these kids get kind of cutthroat because <laughs> they take it seriously when they're, when they're trying to win a cahoot. And, uh, but it keeps them engaged. And I think those those three things I would say you know more interaction with the with the built-in uh, uh, functionality polling uh, and survey functionality do it in smaller bites uh, and use lots more video and audio uh, are going to serve you well. The last one I would say is really 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 rehearse and prep and make sure that your uh, all your your audio and everything work correctly. Uh, because uh, this is not the time to to have to figure it out. Now you've run the gauntlet with uh, interminably long Zoom meetings and and whatnot in the last few days. Uh, um, uh, what what are some of the things you see people doing wrong? Yeah, I, I I just spent the last few days doing some consulting with three hour long Zoom sessions, and the key Kelly is to make sure that you are rehearsed, to make sure you're prepared, to make sure you're ready for any eventuality. And also a top tip I learned from watching Pinnacle, and that's that the, the, the chat function that you have, if you have questions or comments, you can actually interact immediately with the presenter. So you're not alone in the room, but also you are, you are there and it gave you, gave you the chance to have that kind of live interaction. And, and so in my mind's eye, I'm thinking that I'm now in a room, unlike a conference where the first six rows are empty, I've now got a, everyone's right up at the front and people are asking questions and interacting. Nobody's hanging, hanging by the door just to get their stamp and leave again. And so we made excellent use of the chat function to ask people to interact questions and answers. As you say, you can conduct surveys. And so we, we made the time go very, very quickly. And also when we were asking people to do stuff, we just made an interlude of some music. And so uh, I've been playing all of my old uh, back catalogue of gramophone records here. Also, just we must note that coming up, we've got to EMS World Expo Virtual, uh, and they're taking a massive conference and compressing it down into, into bite-sized chunks, and uh, all of the usual folk are taking part in that. But there's a lot of panel work, and, and so there's a lot of pre-recording going on, and I'm involved in a few sessions. I'm doing a PIO session with uh, Mark Tenya and Alexia Jobson, I'm looking forward to that and also doing my international roundup that I do every year with my good friend, Dr. Linda Dykes from the UK. And this year we've got Dov Maisel from Israel. We've got Tony Walker from Australia and Darren Mockery from the UK doing it live. Now, if you get your watch, get your, get your phone out and work out what time it is in Adelaide and what time it is in Tel Aviv. One of them is just getting up early. One of them is about to go to bed. So we're going to try and see if that works for us, but that should be quite interesting, but they're coming up. And so lots of opportunity to learn and get your learn on, um, in, interestingly, the AAA, we did a, a, a session, which I'm not sure we've put it out widely yet, but we will do coming up on how to deliver Zoom presentations. And we used some really excellent speakers. And uh, the one that sprung to my mind was a guy called Boris Krotnog. Have you heard of Boris, Kelly? No, I, I don't believe I have. Oh, well, you need to. Boris Krotnog's a good friend of mine now. He runs uh, an ambulance service in North Hollywood. And uh, his other job is he's a Hollywood character actor. And he's actually driven the Red October. He was the helmsman of the Starship Enterprise. Oh, uh, man. If you, watch, if you watch that show, The Americans, he was one of the Russians in it. But what Boris did for us was give a five-minute session to camera on how to maintain that camera presence, how to be in the room, how to capture the audience, how to time your delivery, uh, how to pause, how to speak, how not to speak, how to do all of these things. And actually, it was mesmerizing. 
uh, and uh, when we get the chance to put that out, I'll make sure that I'll, I'll get you guys to have a look at it as well, because I think that's just some excellent, you know, TED almost, TED-like tips on how to do how to do a presentation and how to hold the room. So those things are coming up. Um, but we're looking forward to, uh, you know, to the conference season coming up. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned was was using chat to uh, to um, uh, augment your your sessions. And uh, one thing that we've discovered is that it is hard to monitor chat and talk at the same time. So one of the things we're going to be doing in our upcoming sessions is uh, yeah, some of them are pre-recorded, and we're going to be talking to uh, a blank screen, record our our session and video, and then we'll be live during the chat when it's aired during our our uh, previously scheduled uh, time to deliver the lecture live. Um, but the rest of the time, the ones we're going to be delivering live, we're going to have someone in the uh, lecture whose job is to monitor the chat. Uh, and one thing I found extremely effective is uh, when doing my Zoom meetings is, is I have a monitor that can, uh, I can virtually break my monitor screen into three, uh, in multiple panels. So I have my, my webcam gallery uh, in one panel, my live content that I'm sharing in another, and my chat in another. So uh, I, I have all the screen up there and I don't have to toggle back and forth between them. Uh, it makes it uh, much smoother. But one of the things we discovered is you, when you have a lot of people in a Zoom room, uh, interaction is going to be somewhat uh, lessened if you don't pause to check your chat now and then. So we're designating someone to do that for us, uh, someone who is going to sit in our lecture and monitor the chat and, uh, and speak to us off camera. Uh, and, and let us know that there there's a question and that sort of thing. As, as we're nearly out of time, before I hand over yeah. finally to you, Kelly, that my final Zoom tip is that if you are doing the presenting, you can actually, a lot of people tend to look at themselves on the camera and forget for the fact that there's that little, and, and the trouble is with these, either a phone or a computer, the, the lens is millimetric and you don't know where to look. And so what happens is people end up looking at themselves. What I do if I'm giving a presentation is you can actually move that box with your face in it around the screen. And what I do is I push that up as close to the camera as is physically possible. So if you like to look at yourself or you inadvertently look at yourself, you're also looking in the rough direction of the camera. Uh, and so, and from my perspective, you only get to see one chin instead of two. So that's pretty cool as well. <laughs> but so that's my, that's my final top tip of zooming of the day, Kelly. And, and a good tip it is, but Hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. How's EMS education going to go for you in a virtual environment? Uh, is your agency moving to a virtual platform to, to take care of your continuing education? Are you going to uh, attend any virtual conferences this fall? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and my esteemed colleague, Rob Lawrence, subbing for Chris Sabalero and doing a bang-up job of it, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>